Powered by Righteous Media. Welcome to Independent Americans. Welcome to episode 250. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. The U.S. has launched another round of airstrikes into Syria. U.S. drones are circling right now over Gaza. American aircraft carriers are off the coast of Gaza and Israel. There's fighting in Gaza. There's fighting in Ukraine. There's fighting in Washington. There's fighting in the streets across America. And now is most definitely a time to stay vigilant. And to help you do that, I'm bringing back a returning champion, one of our most popular, one of our most insightful guests who knows a thing or two about fighting. He also has a deep understanding of American culture, American politics, and is kind of like America's conscience. He's our friend, the brilliant, dynamic, insightful Sebastian Younger. Sebastian's one of the most important authors, thinkers, and public intellectuals in America, and one of the most interesting guys you'll ever hear. He joined us back in episode 207 in January of this year. He also joined us in episode 116 in May of 2021, and back in episode 100 in February 2021. And he's back again with more of our ongoing conversation about the state of America, what it means to be a true patriot, and why there's actually reason to have hope right now. It's a very special conversation just in time for your Veterans Day weekend. Yeah, that's this weekend. But it's another unique conversation with an important, inspiring, and iconic independent American. Because Sebastian damn sure is independent. Be sure to check out all his incredible books, like Freedom, Tribe, and of course, The Perfect Storm. And he's going to tell us about his new book that's coming soon. But this is going to be a quick and clean conversation with just me, Sebastian, and you. Check back soon for another episode where I'll break down the latest national security and political news. I'll talk about what's happening in Gaza. I'll analyze the results of the recent election day, talk about the latest GOP debate, and... I'll share the results from the flag football team that I coached in the playoffs this week. Welcome to a conversation with a man who's truly a conscience for America. Welcome to Independent Americans, episode 250. Ladies and gentlemen, independent Americans around the country and around the world. This is a very stressful, strenuous, crazy time. And there's one guest that's helped us break down complicated and dynamic and stressful moments better than just about anybody. So as we get uh, deeper into the world on fire, as we get uh, around Veterans Day, I thought of no finer guest to bring back to the show than a returning champion. The great and powerful Sebastian Younger is back on Independent Americans. Welcome back, sir. Thank you very much. I'm very glad to be here. The last time you were here was 11 months ago. A lot has changed, man. <laughs> yeah. But, yep. but it's, it's good to see you. Um, let me start with the question I ask everybody. Uh, where are you and how are you? 
Uh, I'm good. I'm, I'm in the Lower East Side of Manhattan, where I live with my uh, wife and children. And, um, and I'm 61 years old and apparently pretty healthy. <laughs> <laughs> you, look, you look healthy. I mean, can I ask you, like, what do you do to stay in shape? Because I think it's like we all need to, to tips now when we navigate times like this and juggling family and also winter coming in most of the country. Uh, what do you do to keep yourself looking like a, a former professional athlete at age 61? <laughs> I, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a lifelong runner. I was a good runner in high school and college. And, and, uh, and then about, uh, 10 years ago, I started boxing and, uh, um, I spar around a little bit. I train hard, you know, whatever it's, I don't put a huge amount of time into it. I never lift weights. Boxing sort of takes care of that. And I get out into the woods and hike and backpack as much as I can. You know, I live in, we live in New York, but um, I spent a lot of time in the woods in my life and I really, you know, I really miss it. So we try to get out there as much as we can. Yeah, it's so important. I just had a parent teacher conference where we're dealing with uh, my son and frankly, like some physicality issues. And I had a kind of spirited discussion with his teacher about the fact that they're locked in a box all day. Yeah. And, uh, and she said, well, their playground is great. And I said, yeah, but it has no sunshine. It's, yeah. it's, a, it's a stone box and it looks like a prison yard. Um, and I feel like a lot of us feel a little restricted right now. And there's nothing that brings it, um, that deal, helps me deal with it better than nature, right? Yeah, you know, what? I feel like this society, for all of its incredible merits and accomplishments and really stunning, stunning achievements, um, people forget that children are little animals. Yeah. Right. And they have all the physicality of little animals and uh, they forget that. And you think, oh, well, we're humans and they, we can sit at a desk and concentrate for hours at a time. I mean, yeah, we're adaptive and we can do it. But children struggle to do it. And boys are even worse at it than girls are. And so, <clears throat> um, you know, for I think some some pretty intrinsic biological reasons and um so I, 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 you know, I just think we, when we, when we forget that, we, we, we look at child behavior as sort of misbehavior when, in fact, they're acting like the animals that, that they are. And we, society has to figure out a way to work with that gracefully. You put it so well, man. That's why I love talking to you, because sometimes when I drop my boys off at New York City public schools, I feel like I'm putting a, an animal in a cage. Yeah, totally. You are. I mean... But there's something to learn in the cage. But it is a cage. Like, let's not kid ourselves. That, that is, that is. I think that's really profound. I don't know if you've, you've seen Richard Reeves' writing or, or work on, on this, uh, you know, exploration of masculinity in America. But it's something you've talked a lot about. I mean, I want to get into Ukraine with you and a couple of other issues. But I want to stay on this if I can, because I think yeah. you're so insightful. I mean, what, what do you think about the American education system? Now that you're a parent, you're, you're a man of letters, you're a world-renowned writer, you know, you, you have taken, you know, unconventional paths, but if you could go back and, and, um, and, you know, redesign or, or think about the American education system in particular, you know, what are, what are your thoughts? God, well, you know, it's, I think it's hard. It's no one thing. And it's, you know, it's hard to um, say something um, uh, accurate about all of it, but I mean, my experience with it is the, is, you know, public school in New York city and they'll, the, the, you know, I think they do. A, I think they do a really good job. You know, like they're taking a, kids with a whole range of um, 
uh, backgrounds and preparation and family history and cultural differences and giving them and teaching them all basic skills for living in our society, reading, arithmetic, all that stuff. I mean, it's kind of amazing that they do it and they can accommodate the kids that are excelling and the kids that are lagging and, you know, like keep them physically safe. Like, it's sort of amazing that it's done. Right. Like, mm. but, um, uh, you know, I think there's um, tragic, uh, tragically poor outcomes in poor neighborhoods with some schools that, that you know, that just lead to um, very, very difficult, painful and often unsuccessful lives for those kids as they grow up. Like and education is a predictor of all kinds of things and uh, and poor neighborhood, you know, education and income and wealth and all that stuff they're all connected and and i mean you go to the schools and the really sort of really high you know hardcore low-income high crime urban neighborhoods the outcomes suck for those kids and it's not their fault i mean eventually it's their responsibilities they grow up and they're adults and they're making their own choices but you know if you look at um if you look at that through a uh through the sort of prism of income income inequality what goes on? I mean, this is a fair. This is a quite a, quite a fair country, and and it's a wealthy country, and it's a democ- democratic country. It's all good things. But when you look at the actual economic and cultural circumstances in really poor areas, rural areas, and inner city, it's totally outrageous, totally unacceptable that that exists in a democracy mm. where there are people, many many people, with billions, tens of billions of dollars, like give me a freaking break, right? Like that's not what the democracy is designed, supposed to produce. This is why I love talking to you because we're getting into all of it. And I think I've talked to my wife and I've thought about this and talked about it. I do think like there, there's kind of a crisis of pathways for many men in particular in this country, right? It's the rise of extremism. It's function of our politics, um, it's the suicide rate. It's it's a lot of other outcomes. And I think it starts so early with how, how boys grow up in public education. And I can see it in my son where if he doesn't, you know, if he's not on the track, he's a problem. And then he feels like it's all coming down on him and he fights it. And then that just sets the path for his whole life. Right. And and I remember being that kid in public school. If I didn't have football as a as a as a productive physical outlet with structure and I think really importantly with male role models. When I walk around my kids' public schools, it's hard to find any men, like very few of them. And, you know, they're usually in janitorial roles or they're in administrative roles or they're the gym teacher. Right. So I really think this is a crisis uh, within the country that, that that's under uh, reported and just not getting enough focus. And, and, and I think Biden, you know, as a really old guy is is, is probably well intentioned, but doesn't even seem to get it because he's so far away from it. Let me ask you to, to kind of build on that democracy piece. Sebastian, every time I talk to you, I want to get a health check on our, on our democracy. It, it feels like the country is on fire. We know all the problems, but what's your take? Where is the country right now? And what's your health assessment of where we are as a nation? All right. So I'm just going to start by saying uh, I'm, <clears throat> I'm a registered independent. I tend to vote Democratic. Uh, I'm liberal minded. I grew up in a liberal family, liberal part of the country. Um, and I am often deeply enraged by the left wing for its elitism and its stupidity, right? And I'm deeply alarmed by the right wing for its um, seem, what seems to be growing disregard for 
um, democratic society. I mean, they, they seem to be saying, look, if we lose, then we're going to take our ball and go home. We're not going to play the game. Right. And that, that's not how a democracy works. And I, the authority, the authoritarians, you know, I feel like the left wing, they're, they're, they're damaging the country by being elitist and not speaking to the concerns of ordinary people of, of middle-class and working-class people. Like they just don't seem to give a shit. Right. And they come up with like some, well, <laughs> I won't get into that now. The right wing isn't damaging the country. They're threatening to destroy it. They're threatening to destroy the fabric of democracy. And they're doing it. They're, they have a few bad actors that are seem to be just straight up autocrats. Like, let's hang, let's hang the general for not shooting the demonstrators, right? Let's, hey. let, you know, I mean, things that only fascists say, right? And uh, I'll respect the election results if I win. You know, lock lock up my political opponent. Those are things that are said in fascist countries. My father grew up fleeing fascism in Europe. He was a refugee from three different countries, three different wars before coming to this haven of democracy in the United States. So all, you know, all that said, like right now, what's what's collapsing for me is the Republican Party as a political entity. It is it is lapsing into something that is fundamentally tribal and self-concerned and, and self-dealing. And that terrifies me. Mm. The democracy itself seems to be standing up to um, surviving and standing up to that fairly well. Like in election after election, Republicans who by all rights maybe should be sweeping things keep failing. Right. I mean, just last night. Like the in battleground states in Ohio, abortion. The, like I mean, all and we've all read the, the you know the morning news. So you know what I would say. And there are four court cases against Donald Trump. Who I'm so I'm sorry. Like uh, straight up, straight up wannabe dictator. I mean, I you know I'm entirely sympathetic to the Republican way of thinking. I'm not I'm not sympathetic to someone who wants a, a kind of dictatorial level of power over a country. And but he. All that shit is going down, I think. And so I, you know, I think the, the democracy has been enormously stressed, but I'm actually amazed how, how it's the sort of anti democratic antibodies are sort of fighting this off. And I think it's going to win. That that's, that's uh, the, the last line is the one that I think is most interesting to me. I don't know. Is it going to win? Right. And, and your conclusion or your, your, your prediction that it will win, I think is encouraging um, but it's also, you know, grounded in, in so much insight. I mean, there's so much focus on this election today, and I think that's important. And obviously, I think there were undercurrent stories like marijuana winning in 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 Ohio, um, and you know, there being a, a Democrat in Kentucky at the governor's ma- mansion now, and, and the the abortion piece in Ohio. I think the bigger story is that most Americans didn't vote. Like nobody fucking cared. Like, yeah, the, the news watchers care. I'm going to go on cable news. You're going to talk to interviews. But I think most Americans forgot it was election day and didn't even vote. I don't know what the turnout numbers were, but when I went to vote next door, I was the only guy in the whole gym. And I'm in New York City. OK, like nobody was voting. And I went on an off hour. But still, I think there's a bigger issue where independents and unaffiliated are not voting. Huge swaths of American the American public are checking out. And I also feel like, and you've been really thoughtful about this, there's kind of a numbing going on. And I wonder if you can talk about that. I mean, 
Israel is, is, is carnage. Gaza is carnage. Ukraine is carnage. Our politics is carnage. And I think a lot of people are just shutting it off. I think they're yeah. tired and I think they're going to sports and they're going to other stuff and they're drinking and, and, you know, and, but they're disconnecting in ways. Yeah. A lot of people are getting involved, but I think a lot of everyday people are just saying, fuck it. I had enough. What's your read on that? Because you've got a good understanding of the working class in this country and, and people who aren't, you know, everyday political uh, uh, um, addicts. Yeah. Well, I, you know, it, it may be that if, you know, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like New York, there wasn't a super crucial vote happening about anything. I think in Ohio, you might have found lots of people in the gymnasium, right? Sure. And, and so, and I think in 2024, every, you know, I, I mean, that's a high, that's a high stakes election. I think it'll bring out a lot of people. Um, so, yeah, it would have been great in New York if the, if the gymnasium had been full of like good citizens, good New York citizens voting, sure. you know, whatever. But Whatever. people are, you know, people are busy. They got, they got lives to lead. And it's like, you know, they got kids, they're single moms, dad, whatever. Like I kind of, I kind of get it. But when the stakes are really high, uh, turnout is often quite, you know, like quite decent. And I just remember photographs from what election was it? Um, I can't remember. I may, maybe 2020. I mean, lines of people, hundreds of people long standing in the heat in Georgia. I think it yeah. was. Yeah. Right. Uh, forbidden to, people forbidden to even give them water for some reason yeah. standing in the heat to vote so that's that's also our country so um i i would t- you know i would take heart that when the stakes are, you know when the, when when the chips are down or when chips whatever the expression yeah. is when, when the stakes are high when the chips are down like that people do come out and um so i, I i'm sorry the other part of your question just oh i think you got to it i think that that's it yeah. man i mean i think you you know you I really consider you a conscience for America. That's why I love having you on the show. Why I love our conversations, why I read everything that you write. Um, and, and, and I got to ask you to turn that, that lens over. I want to get to Ukraine because I think, and maybe we'll start with Ukraine because no one else does. Right. Like I, I feel like the bottom's dropping out the $60 billion that, that Biden is requesting is not going to go through. Most likely um, you've got a speaker of the house now who won't support Ukraine. The attention is waning. Um, you know, as an advocate for Ukraine, I'm working on nonprofit projects for Ukraine. I, I don't get my calls back like I used to, right? Like yeah. people are not interested in Ukraine anymore. And I worry this is the downward slide, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, the Democrats could win next year, they could pull it back, and Biden could double down on the funding. But a year is a long time for Zelensky right now. When yeah. when um, a stalemate is a victory for Putin, and and I think he continues to align forces with Iran and others. But what's your take on Ukraine specifically, as someone who's been very focused on? Well, I think they've done. I mean, obviously they've done amazingly well. But I remember early, very, very you know, the first week of the war, people saying, "Oh my God, they're going to take Kiev in a couple of weeks," and. I was like, I, I'm not sure. Like, I don't, I, I'm not sure they're going to, and they didn't. And, you know, the, I mean, in my book, Freedom, I write about how successful smaller, highly motivated groups can be when they're fighting, quote, the empire, right? right. I mean, look, the Taliban didn't have an air force. They didn't have artillery. Yes, yeah, some of them didn't even have boots. And 20 years later, who's running the country? Not us, the Taliban. Right. And the same thing happened with the Russians. And so I um, the the the, uh, 
the Montenegrins drove the Ottoman Empire out of Montenegro over and over again. They were outnumbered 12 to 1 at times. So, uh, you know, what I would say is that, yeah, it's too bad that they didn't have the machinery, the technology to sort of crack the crack the, the Russian lines once and for all a year ago or in the last summer. And, of course, the longer this goes on, the more people die. There were reports that the Russians are losing eight or 900 men a day. I don't know if that's accurate, but um, it's... Uh, ghastly for for both sides and and uh um but if the russians are having trouble even maintaining their front lines with sort of the sort of massive machinery of war right imagine how 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 much difficulty they'll have actually occupying the country when artillery doesn't work and you, you know you can't bomb the country you're occupying because you're there to run the society. It doesn't work, right? Even if they manage to like eventually turn the tide and take Kiev, they don't have nearly the manpower, the resources, or the motivation to actually run a country of forty million people that doesn't want to be run by someone else. It's not happening. So, I mean, twenty years from now, is Ukraine going to be Russia? I don't think so, right? Mm -hmm. Like. But a lot of people, if that you know, if that's the outcome, the long-term outcome. A lot of people are going to die in the interim, which is horrible. And if Russians run that society, they're going to be torturing people in basements and blah blah blah. It's unthinkable, right? But I think in the long, long run, it's hard to imagine that Russia is going to pull this off. I I, I love optimistic Sebastian. I mean, this is like, you know, I don't know if I get this one every time, but I like optimistic Sebastian. And I think we need it right now because I think, you know, the Ukrainians have been absolutely incredible and inspiring and heroic. The, the problem I have is with the Americans right now, you know, who seem to be, again, tired and, and distracted and losing yeah. backbone for an ally at a critical time. But I want to shift over to Gaza and Israel and get your take there, Sebastian, because you've been to all these parts of the world, you understand conflict, you understand the kind of true nature of people. Is, is Israel setting themselves up to repeat the mistake of trying to occupy Gaza and facing a much more complicated fight than, than they expected? Yeah, before I get to that, let me just say one quick thing about Ukraine that I forgot to mention. I think people often wait to see if America the sort of big brother in the playground will sort of step in and take care of business. Yeah. And if we don't, and I think this is where the Republicans sometimes have a decent point. I mean, I hope we fund the Ukrainian effort, right? I mean, I'm exactly like you, but I think the reality is if we don't, France, England, Germany, Poland, you know, Latvia, they're all going to look at each other and go, Oh shit, we better, we, we better step in. Cause we're, we are actually right we're, we're actually on the front line of this. The Americans aren't. So anyway, just to say that it's yeah. a possible, that's a possible outcome. And it's a, right. it's a, it's a, it's a moderately decent point by the Republicans. So, yeah. but so on to Israel, I mean, I've only been there once and I've never covered that conflict and uh, everything I'm going to say is coming from reading, um, you know, the, 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 basically the New York times in the morning. Right. And so, um, uh, it seems like, I mean, going sort of riffing off what I said before, a highly motivated um, insurgency is very, very hard to squash. And um, I, I, uh, it's possible that hum you, 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 I, I think generals probably don't want to do what the, that they know the enemy is hoping they'll do, right? Mm -hmm. So, I'm, so what are the Israeli generals? 
What do they think Hamas wants them to do? I'm guessing Hamas wants them to come into Gaza. You know, big time. Kill a lot yeah. of people. Yeah. Blow up a lot of stuff. Like, I'm guessing that Hamas wants this. So I would ask the Israeli military, and this is no comment on their right to defend themselves after an outrageous attack, blah, blah, blah. Like, I have no comment on that. I'm just like, it's purely tactically. Like, if your enemy wants you to do something, why are you doing it? Mm-hmm. Like, what? Like, what? Like, they, they seem to be wanting, their whole attack seemed to be designed to trigger this response. So, why are you giving them the thing that, like, their, their hope? Clearly, they think they can win this fight. So, why are you doing it that way? And what the thing I don't understand, I mean, that those attacks were so outrageous. You know, after 9 11, another outrageous, horrible attack. Iran had a moment of silence in its soccer stadium for the for the American victims of 9-11. Iran, right? So um, the Israelis, the one thing you, the, the, the world, the world sympathy was with them for a while, right? It was with them when we found out about 40 babies being killed in the daycare center. Good God, right? Like, uh, 300 kids being machine gunned in a, you know, at a, at a music festival, like, ISIS level horror, right? And so I'm sure even moderate Palestinians were like, good God, that's horrific, right? So that's the kind of thing that in the long run will win wars yep. when you have when you have the world behind you like that. And I I get it, you know, the 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 Hamas is putting their headquarters in refugee camps or whatever, like standard guerrilla tactics. I get it. Like, but just think in the long run, like do you want to turn the whole world against you and fracture all those alliances just to kill that Hamas leader? It may be, I'm not, no comment on their right to defend themselves. It may just be tactically speaking a shitty yeah. choice. I think that's, I think this is such a smart, <clears throat> smart take and it's, and it's similar to mine because look, I mean, Israel has a right to and an obligation to defend themselves. How they do it is the key. And if they get sucked into what, what, what Hamas wants and they, you know, got, got these people like we saw it after 9-11, make the place a parking lot. Right. Like, you know, that there's that attitude and you can take that attitude, but it's not very strategic. And it's probably, you know, history doesn't doesn't support it as a good outcome. And and I think they're I think they've come in too heavy and they're making the mistake that we did. I mean, we had the world on our side and then we invaded Iraq. And we, and we lost it and we created more enemies than we could kill. And I think that's the situation that Israel is going to find themselves in, in part because maybe they don't have the internal political integrity and clarity with Netanyahu and with the division. And I'll ask you to finish, Sebastian, maybe pivoting back to the U.S. on that point. Um, it's Veterans Day this week. Um, you've been an incredible advocate for us. I think one of the most incredible. You're doing the Veterans Town Halls now, which are really powerful. Um but it also, you know, feels like Veterans Day is the past now. Last year, it kind of felt like it. Now, I feel like this is the first year where we're not even like number 10 on the priority list. I see that in funding for veterans charities. And it's understandable, right? It's been over 20 years. Um, maybe we're even fortunate as a veterans community. There hasn't been another protracted war involving us because then we would really be in the rear view. But with Israel and Ukraine and so many other factors, um, veterans issues are not hot anymore. And I even uh, proposed, and I'll put it in the show and in an op-ed I've got running, uh, combining Veterans Day and Election Day to kind of give up our national holiday of Veterans Day so Election Day can be a national holiday and kind of give them both more meeting and, and connection. But I just would ask all that 
being said, Sebastian, what's your read on, on, on America right now, where we've got these fights in the streets of people pulling down posters and kids, you know, fighting on campuses. It feels like this is maybe the big one to really rip America apart outside of a, a race war. I mean, what could be worse than what we've got right now? Can you talk about your assessment on, on the fighting in America as we enter Veterans Day, which is supposed to be a time of unity and, and, and hope? Yeah, I mean, I feel like what the Republicans seem to have initiated at, at, at the sort of national level and the core of their politics is a really a kind of tribalist, like tribalist mentality that doesn't see, um, doesn't doesn't see a sort of collective good for everybody. It's it sees everything in zero sum sort of like power dynamic with the with the Democrats. Like if they win, we lose, and like yeah. the, the the concept of the country doesn't seem foremost, right? And the left wing is just as bad in their own particular issues, except left wing extremist politics don't dominate the That's sort right. of democratic party, right? right? Right wing extremist politics do democrate. Uh, they do sort of Trump Republican politics. They do define them, right? So the I feel like that extremism, that sort of tribal identity where you 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 insist on an outrageous position not because it works or not because it's fair or right or honorable but because it allows you to define who your tribe is right and that's like tribes great if you don't have to work w with other people right <laughs> if you're right. in a tribe of 50 50 people in the in the in the Kalahari desert right like you're great you don't have to get along with anybody else. You're right, doing your right, right, but right. in a modern democracy of th almost 400 million, that tribal identity, unless it encompasses the entire nation, is tremendously dangerous to the unity of the whole. And so, that, like, where where is this headed? I don't know. 2024. I mean, I'm guessing, I'm guessing Trump is going to be convicted of something. I'm I'm just going to take a guess. I, I I would be, I think Trump is probably going to wind up in prison at some point. Right. And so what that does to the national psyche, I have no idea. But I think that's probably where it's headed. Mm. Inshallah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think you make an important point because, you know, there are extremists on the left and right. But Ilan Omar is not the Speaker of the House. And right. Mike John and Mike Johnson is pretty much as extreme as she is. And he's the Speaker of the House. So yeah. this is a time when I think independent voices like yours are so important trusted, authentic voices like you. And, and I've said this a lot. I want to I reiterate it. Leadership's important. People who can help America make sense of this moment. And your work always does that. Your voice does that. I want to have you on as often as I can, Sebastian, to just break down the world because I think people need your voice to help guide us through it. Um, before I let you go, can you tell us the update on what you've got coming next with the new book? Well, you have timing and, and uh, what folks should look forward to. Yeah, so my new book is about when I almost died uh, three years ago. Um, I had an undiagnosed aneurysm, a ballooning of the artery, my pancreatic artery in my abdomen. It was an unknown law. I mean, it's an artery that no one has any reason to think about. And it had this weak spot, and it ballooned, and it ruptured, and I lost two-thirds of my blood into my abdomen, and I almost died. I mean, I came really close to dying. I needed 10 units, 
And as I was on the way out, as I was dying, my dead father appeared above me to welcome me. And I'm an atheist. I'm a rationalist. I'm non. I'm not religious. I'm, I would say I'm an anti-mystic. Right. I'm not even just non non-mystic. I'm anti-mystic. I hate that shit. Right. And yeah. there he was. Right. And and I've struggled to explain it ever since. And I wrote a book called In My Time of Dying, um, how I came face to face with the idea of an afterlife. And it doesn't claim my book doesn't claim there's an afterlife, but it just discusses like the 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 what might happen when we die because no, it's the ultimate mystery. It's the great mystery, right? Mm. And um, so that comes out on May 21st with Simon and Schuster. I'm very excited about it. I'm doing the uh, copy edits right now. And uh, excellent, uh, yeah. Another reason uh, to be optimistic about Sebastian is because he's got new work coming, and 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 optimistic Sebastian is what America needs right now. And uh, <clears throat> Sebastian talking about the afterlife, I am all in. You right. told that story really profoundly and, and in detail uh, last time you were on the show. I encourage folks to go back and check out the previous episodes. Man, I'm just grateful for you, for your friendship, for your thoughtfulness, for your reasonableness. For your heart, uh, for your muscle, all all of the of the Sebastian that you are, man. I, I continue to be honored by our friendship and grateful for all you do, man. Um, all the best to you and the family. I can't wait for the new book. I hope you have a great uh, Veterans Day because I know you'll be out there. And thanks for all you do, man. Stay vigilant. Thank you. Really pleasure talking to you as always. The great Sebastian Younger, ladies and gentlemen. Be sure to check out Sebastian's website for more information about all his books and about the Vets Town Halls that he's hosting all across America. Be sure to go to independentamericans.us where you can check out video of my conversation with Sebastian. And you can also check out our previous conversations where he joined me three other times on this show. While you're there, you can get some merchandise, you can check out all our archives, and you can join our Patreon community, where I welcome you to be a part of our elite, exclusive, empowering Patreon community that helps fuel this show and gets exclusive content, sneak previews on what's upcoming, and commercial-free episodes that you get first only as a Patreon member. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe and spread the word about independent Americans to all your friends and family. Be sure to also follow me on social media. Look for me on News Nation every Wednesday with Connell McShane and almost every Friday on MSNBC's Deadline White House with Nicole Wallace. And especially in times like these, especially with so much war underway, especially with Veterans Day coming up, stay vigilant, my friends, because eternal vigilance is the price of freedom. And no, you're not alone in your vigilance. We are all vigilant. And we're all in this together, especially now. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Thank you for listening. Down with Hamas. Down with Putin. Slava Ukraine. Happy Veterans Day. And stay vigilant, America. Media.